My name is Don. I have the privilege of serving on the worship team, and my wife and I lead a community group. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and Luke 18, verses 1 through 8 from the NIV. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on the earth. This is God's word. Thank you, Don. Good morning. Uh, my name is Billy. I'm a pastor elder here at Reality Ventura. And this is the final week of our series as we've been studying prayer. And we began several weeks ago with the Lord's Prayer, and we've been continuing uh, to study and look at what Jesus teaches about prayer and shows us about prayer as we've been looking at the various parables which Jesus told that relate to prayer. And as we've been uh, studying and looking at these parables, we've been asking some questions like, what is prayer? How should I pray? Last week, uh, we looked at God's posture toward us, and we asked the question, will my prayers be heard? How do I know my prayers will be heard? Well, as we wrap this study up today, we consider what it might look like for us to continue in prayer. And that's our topic today. Our subject is persisting in prayer. Now, persistence is a good charge for those of us who find ourselves maybe struggling in our prayer life. Uh, for some of us, maybe you've lost heart in prayer. Or maybe you feel like giving up. And so uh, it's like, man, I tried prayer, but I'm kind of past that now. Today is a good day for you to be here. Or, or maybe you've not begun to engage in an active uh, prayer life. And so let's pray right now to ask the Lord to help, for help in our prayer lives, asking the Spirit to teach and lead us into the truth and the reality of God's love for us and God's desire for us to know Him and be connected in relationship to Him. So let's pray together now. Father, we thank you. Lord, it is so good to be together in your presence. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And now, God, we say, 
ask you, please bend our hearts and our affections to your will, Lord. I pray that your word would not just uh, go in our eyes or go in our ears, but it would enter into our heart and it would affect the good change that you intend. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would instruct us, lead us, change us, God. I pray that you would activate our hearts, that our affections would be bent toward you, that we would be a people who are submitted to you in prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you who know me, uh, you know that I love history, and I love to tell stories, and if you really know me, you may also know that I turned 50 this summer, and so now that I'm 50 years old, I feel like I can tell historical stories about my childhood because it happened so long ago. So I'm going to take you back to spring of 1985. I went to my first concert, okay? I was a young J-High kid, went with a group of high schoolers and a couple of J-High friends and uh, a, a youth pastor and a couple of young adults that were helping with youth at the church where I was attending in New York. And we went to Madison Square Garden and I saw you too. Now, I loved you too, as little as I had been exposed to it, right, as a little kid, but that concert changed my life. I loved the music. I loved the experience of seeing a live band, the energy, but there was something much more to that experience that, that really drew me in. See, in the 1980s, you too, that band, they were on a mission to bring awareness and even activism to issues of injustice around the world, and, and they would like lead with that in their lives live performances. And as a, as a kid, I loved the message. I loved the power that this performance had. There was a sense of meaning to it. There was a sense of purpose to it all. There was a sense of this righteous indignation with the injustice and the brokenness that seemed widespread throughout the world. And you too was on a mission to raise awareness. And I was a part of it that night, right? I was like, heck yeah. I was made aware, and at the end of the set, it was probably like an encore or something, they played a song that would remain in my head every day, literally, from that day until today. And it's a song that U2 calls 40, and it's just their version of Psalm 40. And I'll read their, their lyrics here. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined, heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pits, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? He set my feet upon a rock. He made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will see and hear. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? Now from the stage, Bono, who's the, the personality of the band, the lead singer, he would ask these impassioned rhetorical questions about issues of injustice in the world. He would say things like, how long until black South Africans sing this new song of deliverance? How long? Right? And in the crowd, you're just like, yeah, how long? Right? How long until the orphan and the widows in Central America are lifted out of the mire and the clay and the drug violence that runs rampant there? And you're just like, yes, how long, Lord? How long until Christians in Ireland are lifted from the bloodshed and the violence that rips apart families and the communities and, and, and just the, this social structure, the fabric of society in Ireland? How long, Lord? And it's like this little kid from New York. I'm just like, that's happening in Ireland. How long, Lord? I was blown away. 
I immediately felt intelligent, informed, and indignant, and empowered to do something about the oppressed and the neglected, suffering people of the world. See, that week at youth, after the concert, our youth pastor taught on Psalm 40. And he made these incredible connections for me as a young kid about how the Lord moves and works mysteriously, but faithfully and in his timing. And I remember Psalm 40 opening my eyes and opening my heart to two things. First, I started to see the world as much bigger than I had always assumed it was, right? I was op- they opened my eyes to the world beyond my family, my church, and my school, and I was considering the injustice of people groups that I had never personally seen or met. But the second thing Psalm 40 did is that I started to understand the enormity of God's love for the world. I started to see that he will respond. If only I would wait and persist in asking, Right, that I would join alongside Bono and ask, how long, Lord, and not lose heart? And that's the struggle, isn't it? Not to lose heart. That's the struggle in our Christian life, or one of the struggles, is to persist in prayer, to persist in our faith. Years later, uh, in an interview with Focus on the Family, I heard uh, Bono explain his perspective and his experience what it means for him to remain persistent even in his faith. He said this. He said, we have a pastor. He's talking about himself and his wife. We have a pastor who said to us, stop asking God to bless what you're doing, Bono. He said, find out what God is doing because it's already blessed. And when you align yourself with God's purposes as described in the scriptures, something special happens in your life. Now, I love that sentiment there. It's an acknowledgement that the Lord is moving and that I'm the one who needs to align myself with God's plan rather than begging God to align his will with my desires and my plan. Now, see, this is what Jesus is exposing in this parable that was read this morning in Luke chapter 18, that there's this injustice and there's this persistence in seeking justice. Now, I think all of us are aware of the fact that there is tremendous injustice in the world. There are unjust people. There are unjust leaders. There are unjust laws. And at times, our culture, our whole culture, the fabric of our culture can feel unjust. So we wake up in the morning sometimes and we're like, how long, Lord, do we wait for justice, right? But more than that, Injustice also sort of has this kind of uh, more of an emotional or psychological element to it where we, we feel that an injustice, that an injustice has been done when we lose a loved one in an untimely way especially, or it feels unjust when we lose a job or our health starts failing. It feels unjust when our teenager rebels or our kids get bullied at school. But see, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. The Lord is moving right? And so we must persist in our pursuit of the Lord, to stay aligned with him. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we live and work and parent and create in a world that feels unjust? Well, in today's passage, Jesus shows us how we can live, how we can live lives persisting in prayer. And the first and most obvious aspect is seen in the audacious persistence of the widow. As she, and the first thing we see is that she prays persistently. 
pray persistently, that she was continuing, she was maintaining in prayer, she was enduring in prayer, she was resolved, right? And, and then the charge from the widow for others would be don't lose heart, don't give up. Now let's be honest, there are times when in our desperation, in our desire for justice, Sometimes we feel like we've got nothing to offer God and nothing is happening and then it feels like or it starts to feel like life just becomes too much. Because let's face it, we, we don't get the answer that we want or we don't get the answer that we want soon enough or it doesn't even seem like we're getting any kind of a response and we start to tire of waiting. Now, it may not be that we consciously decide to give up on God, right? Like, I think we're a little too clever to be like, I'm just gonna give up on God right now. I don't think that's how it works in my life. But it sure is easy for me to grow tired in my waiting. Can anyone relate to that. Yeah, it's hard. And so it's good for us to remember that God is worthy of our persistence. It's worth it to trust him. And in this story about an unjust, selfish judge, we see that even an unfair, unloving, selfish man can be bent by God to bring justice. Justice comes at the asking of a widow, albeit persistent asking. But see, the widow in our story has nothing. She has no recourse for dealing with this unjust judge. Her only hope is in her persisting, in her petition, continually bringing it and just saying, justice has to be done. And so I will just keep asking. She's persistently insisting that justice be granted. See, she's at the point where she has nothing except her faith and this nagging request for justice. She's focused on it. She's insistent upon it. And here she is, using what she has. And what does she have? She has faith and persistence. Man, that is a good word for us today. Because it is easy sometimes to become discouraged and give up on justice. It can be easy to become frustrated by injustice and let anger or discouragement direct our thoughts and our attitudes. Well, if, if persistent insistence on justice, if, I, if remaining submitted to the Lord in an attitude of prayer, if that's not working, well, maybe if I grow discouraged and cynical and angry, maybe that will work, right? And we kind of slide into a, a different mindset, a different perspective, a different pathway. Sometimes it can feel like we're just a step away from begin, becoming overwhelmed by the struggles of life. We become overwhelmed by, by the injustice in the world. And so today, we're encouraged to persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. Remain faithful in prayer. Because God is good. He's not ignoring you. God is faithful. His response is good for you. And God is patient. He's willing to wait until the right time to move in response to our requests. And what I often forget is God's perspective is perfect. We don't often know the full scope of God's plans or the reasons behind his timing. And sometimes in our waiting for justice, we lose heart. And maybe we lose our patience. And in these moments, we sometimes, we want to take matters into our own hands, right? Like, well, if, if God's, you know, doesn't have a good plan or effective timing, then maybe I need to step in, 
Well, of course we don't consciously think that, but it's easy to let our hearts wander into doubt. And doubt is the great trap that we fall into, right? We ask questions like, well, is, is, is God really good? Is, is God really with me in this? Is he really paying attention here? Is he really going to come through? I mean, it's been a while. And sometimes it seems easier to give in to doubt than to persist in prayer. And in our story that we're looking at today, if we see the value in persisting in this right attitude, this prayerful attitude, this attitude of faith, and this is vital for us because it can be difficult. It's hard to persist in prayer. It's hard to have faith in God when there is real injustice in the world around us. And it can even seem impossible at times for us to have faith that God is in control when we face loss or we face hardship or we face pain in life. But when we fan the flames of faith and we pray persistently, we submit our plans and our timetable to the Lord's plans and to the Lord's timetable. And when we do that, we're submitting our hardships to a good God. God is good, he's in control, and so here's the key. We find peace, even in hardship. We find peace, even in continuing to wait. We find peace in a good God. Our faith in a good God is required to remain persistent in prayer. Persisting in prayer helps mold and bend our hearts to the will and the timing of a good and faithful God. When we pray persistently, we close the door to doubt and fear. Persistent prayer keeps the fire of faith burning in us as we wait with hope and expectancy upon the Lord. And so that's the first thing we see in the story that Jesus tells us. Pray persistently. And in our persistent prayers, in this persistent prayer life, we also discover that there is value to praying, and this is the second thing we see in our story, pray corporately. We pray persistently, we pray corporately. So much of what we've learned about prayer over these last several weeks applies to our individual prayer lives. And it's been wonderful. I hope, hopefully it's been helpful and even transformative for you in your prayer life. And because God wants you to know him. God wants you to seek him. He wants you to live your life connected to to where he's at, what he's doing, where he's going, the the direction, the course, the, the, the sense of purpose, the sense of the passion in life. All of those things come from our connectedness with God. And prayer anchors us and connects us to the heart and the person of God. Prayer is the fabric of our relationship with God. And he has given us prayer to help foster and grow a relationship. And so we've looked at what our attitude and our posture ought to be in prayer. And we've seen what God's attitude and posture is toward us as we approach him in prayer. But in our passage today, Jesus uses this kind of corporate language as he's referring to all of God's people, there's this recognition that the promise of justice is granted as his people practice persistence in prayer. Not only as individuals, but as a community. Let me read uh, verses seven and eight. It's Luke 18, seven and eight. He says, "Will, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
Now, God loves you. He cares for you. He inclines his ear, as the psalmist says in Psalm 40. He inclines to me and hears my cry. He cares about you. And he cares about us. Corporately, he inclines his ear toward us. And throughout scripture, there's an emphasis on God's people, on the family of God. God is referring to, God is referred to throughout as a father, right? And he knows when a single sparrow falls, he's, he's connected to us. Like you are a child of God in all of the good ways that a good and perfect father loves a child. That's how God loves us. That's how we can trust God. That's how we can walk with God. But there's also the corporate element that comes with fatherhood. God is a father of a family and we are a part of a family. He is a father of a people and he brings hope and help to his people in our times of need, corporately even. See, his vision is both intimate and immense, simultaneously. And there's tremendous spiritual significance in our understanding of this corporate life and in our willingness to live my life, each of our individual lives, corporately as a part of the family of God in community with other Christians. Speaking about prayer in those terms, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. He says, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And so spiritually, there's this important part of our identity uh, that that is significant for Jesus to instruct us in our prayer life to to function as a part of a family, as, as a people. But this is also significant on a very practical level as well. I mean, just just practically. Praying together with other people helps us to pray persistently, doesn't it? Like having a a plan, hey, let's the three of us meet every week and pray persistently for this thing or for one another or for for whatever the Lord would put on your heart. But persistence or, or, or togetherness, corporate prayer, helps us in our persistence. There's an ancient African uh, proverb I've heard in many different forms of it, Um, probably mostly heard it in the form of a coffee mug, but it says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Well, when it comes to the things in life that matter, right, relationships, love, joy, happiness, um, I'll take longevity and togetherness over efficiency and isolation any day, right? Well, there are deep spiritual and practical benefits for us in our pursuit of a corporate life together as Christians. There's a a richness to it. And this is why we offer so many different ways to help us as a people engage in life together as a church, right? Because as Americans, we just, we have this, this sense of radical individualism. 
And if you take radical, this radical sense of individualism to its natural end uninterrupted, you end up with a bunch of independent uh, people who are isolated and protected from one another. And so what the gospel does is it comes in and it says, yeah, you are made in the image of God, right? Like there there's a, is a radical sense of individualism that, that God has given you, but there is a radical sense of personhood that God has given you collectively as a people as well. And so as a church, we try to foster that and grow that and and encourage uh, us as a people to participate in community groups where we have a regular rhythm of gathering together and learning together and praying together. Uh, Our weekly prayer groups are another example of this, to gather together with other Christians at a time and a place that works for your group and to to have it on the calendar every week. And we pray together and and we start to learn what what it means to be persistent in prayer. Our first Tuesday prayer and worship just happened to be announced today because it's happening this Tuesday night. We come together as a church in this room, big worship, big prayer, and we come together and we persistently pray. We pray for the nations each month. It's announced every in between services. We come up to the front and we pray for the people who are serving Jesus from Ventura, who are serving Jesus overseas every, every, every week, every day, every month of their life, raising their kids. Uh, we have a rhythm of that each month to come together to pray for them, to develop a persistence as a people on behalf of others. But it's not just in our, like, exclusively in our prayer life. As a people, it's important for us to recognize the significance of serving one another, right? It would be wrong for us to treat church like we treat the mall or like we treat Target or like we treat Amazon. Like, like this isn't just a place where you come and you get. This is a place where you come and you serve, where you come and you submit yourself one to another in the fear of Christ. Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And so as we pattern our life after Jesus, we're looking for opportunities to serve other people. And we do that, well, there's a host of ways of doing that. The people in the, the beautiful, handsome blue t-shirts in here today serve in kids' ministry. The people who look tired in here today, they probably serve in youth ministry, right? Um, the people in the white shirts are serving as ushers. We have greeters, the coffee team. There's a, there are a host of different ways to get connected and become a part of this life together as a people. As we de- develop and, and really not foster and nurture the heart of God in us to serve other people. It's vital, it's significant. We serve together, we learn together, we pray together, we grow together as a people. God calls that family. And so we persistently pray, we pray corporately. And the third thing we see in this passage, this story that Jesus tells today is that we are to pray boldly. Pray boldly. As Jesus is talking about God's people praying, we see that these prayers are big prayers, right? God's people seek salvation, like we're at healing, justice. And we're praying these prayers collectively. This isn't the classic simple prayer for safety or a job or a new car. And it's good for us to pray for those things. That today we're looking at a passage where we're also being taught to pray big, bold prayers. This persistent, corporate prayers for justice. 
This is the indignant, how long must they wait, Lord, prayers for justice in the world. This is the 13-year-old Billy at the U2 concert, just like, yeah, what about the widows and the orphans in Central America who I've never met? What about justice for them, right? That's the sense that I had at that concert. That's the sense that we get when we read the New Testament. Listen, that's the sense that we get when we read Jesus' first sermon as he stands in that synagogue in Galilee, right? He's been baptized. He goes out into the wilderness and has that, you know, fun experience. And then he's in this synagogue in Galilee. It says the scroll's open to Isaiah. And he reads this description of what the Messiah means, what the Messiah brings, what the Messiah focuses on. And he's like, this is the purpose of my life. He's like, this has been fulfilled today. And it was to bring justice. It was to bring salvation. It was to bring absolute change. Jesus didn't come to simply improve our lives. Jesus came to change the fabric of our culture. Jesus came to bring justice. God moves on behalf of his people when we pray boldly and wait and persist. Church, what if we were a people who prayed big prayers? What if we were that people? What if we would pray for big things? What if we taught our kids to pray bold prayers? What if we would pray persistently for justice? What if we would pray persistently for women who are in crisis situations? What if we would pray passionately for our homeless neighbors, right? We would pray passionately every day for the the struggles and the host of complications and challenges that they face. What if we would be those people who would pray with boldness for the Lord to intervene? See, Jesus teaches us about prayer by telling us the story of an unjust judge. Think about that for a second. That, that's, that's deeply messed up, right? I mean, the guy has one job, and that's to be just. And Jesus describes him as unjust, right? So he's immediately disqualified from the job, yet here he is. The fact that he's an unjust judge, it stands in direct conflict with the two most significant commandments that Jesus would identify in his ministry when asked by the Pharisees, if you'll remember, like, what's the most important commandment? Like, they set that as a trap for Jesus, and he responds, he goes, like, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, right? He's like, and the second one, it's actually like it, that you're to love your neighbor as yourself, And here's this judge whose only job is to submit to God and consider the justice of others. And how does Jesus describe him? Look at verse 2. Jesus says, he neither feared God or cared what people thought. And so this guy doesn't recognize God. He doesn't care about other people. He has no fear of God. He recognizes no universal ethic outside of his own self-interest. He has no benevolent bend towards what is just as it relates to other people. This unjust judge is his own God. He's his own counselor. He's his own moral compass. He's his own priority in life. This guy is a a, a real piece of work, right? He's a bad judge. He's a bad person. And he's in a place of authority. A leader with no moral compass. A leader with no accountability. Now, I'm joking right now. I'm going to sound cynical. I'm joking. 
And I don't mean to sound too cynical, but it kind of reminds me of some of the people we have leadership in our modern world today, doesn't it? See, by this measure, we see that the world is full of unjust judges. People who should not be in authority over others because they have no higher authority in their own life. They have no accountability in their own life. We presently live in the world that Jesus paints a picture of here. It's a dark place, a world where the godless and the selfish sit in authority over others. And what are we to do? Do we complain about it? Do we watch people argue about it on TV all day? Right? Do we hold protest signs in front of the courthouse? Do, 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 we, do we behave indignantly and angrily and just frustrated? And, and is, is that our posture? Maybe. Maybe there is a time for each of those things. But what I do know that we ought to do is pray. We need to cry out to God for salvation and hope and healing and justice. And in this passage today, Jesus acknowledges that there are and there should be times when we pray for the bigger picture and acknowledge that the world is dark and that we would cry out to God for it. That we would be moved with the indignation, right, of a teenager at an 80s U2 concert to seek the Lord for justice. How long, Lord? That we would have the faith and the persistence and the boldness to persist in prayer together. Church, God is worthy of our persistence. He is faithful so we can be persistent. God is worthy of our unity in in all of the potential drama that comes along with Christian community, right? It's complicated to be in community with other people, but God is worth it. He is worthy as we give ourselves to this community. He strengthens us and grows us. And let's not forget that God is bold. And so our prayers should reflect his boldness. He desires that none should perish. We should pray according to that heart. He is for the poor. He is for the oppressed. He is for the broken. Our prayers should align with his mission. We should be a people who pray for the lost, who pray for respite from poverty and oppression and brokenness in the world around us. We should pray for healing. We should pray for justice. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful picture. Church, let us be a people who persist in boldly praying together. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, for the reality of your presence. Thank you, God, that you love us, you're for us, and you invite us into, you invite us into a life with you. Like a good father inviting his son out to to be with him, to help him. Lord, you invite us to be out where where you are, to be involved in what you're involved with. This morning, God, I just ask you, Lord, for that perspective in our life. God, that you would help us to see the value in prioritizing and focusing on Jesus. That you would help us to see the value in praying persistently. It'd help us to see the value in pursuing life together with others in Christian community. And Lord, that you would lead us as a people to pray boldly. 
to pray according to your heart, to pray according to your will, to align our heart and our will with yours, Lord. We pray these things, God, because we're eager to see your kingdom come here on earth. We're, easy to see, we're eager to see people and culture redirected to face the throne of God, to worship the throne of God. As, as we see in heaven, God, we, we want to see that on earth. We want to see people turn to know Jesus. So, Lord, this morning, come and lead us now, Holy Spirit, as we respond. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.